From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Thank you for joining us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself, as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for this morning comes from the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Anything is better than the dead calm of indifference. Our souls may wisely desire the north wind of trouble, if that alone can be sanctified to the drawing forth of the perfume of our graces. So long as it cannot be said, the Lord was not in the wind, we will not shrink from the most wintry blast that ever blew upon plants of grace. Did not the spouse in this verse humbly submit herself to the reproofs of her beloved, only entreating him to send forth his grace in some form, and making no stipulation as to the peculiar manner in which it should come. Did she not, like ourselves, become so utterly weary of deadness and unholy calm that she sighed for any visitation which would brace her to action? Yet she desires the warm south wind of comfort, too, the smiles of divine love, the joy of the Redeemer's presence. These are often mightily effectual to arouse our sluggish life. She desires either one or the other, or both, so that she may but be able to delight her beloved with the spices of her garden. She cannot endure to be unprofitable, nor can we. How cheering a thought that Jesus can find comfort in our poor, feeble graces! Can it be? It seems far too good to be true. Well may we court trial, or even death itself, if we shall thereby be aided to make glad Emmanuel's heart. Oh, that our heart were crushed to atoms, if only by such bruising our sweet Lord Jesus could be glorified. Graces unexercised are as sweet perfumes slumbering in the cups of the flowers. The wisdom of the great husbandman overrules diverse and opposite causes to produce the one desired result, and makes both affliction and consolation draw forth the grateful odors of faith, love, patience, hope, resignation, joy, and the other fair flowers of the garden. May we know by sweet experience what this means. 
In these days when the forces of evil are devastating our land, God's people need to pray. More than that, we must engage in united prayer. Just as the apostles and the early church were of one accord gathering for prayer, the cry for our day must be, Let us pray. To encourage the Lord's people to this end, Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a publication entitled, The Case for United Prayer. Presented within its pages are excerpts from the works of Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Pastor Richard Cross. The centerpiece of the book is Samuel Prime's first-hand account of the famous New York City prayer meetings of 1857, begun by one man, Jeremiah Lamphere. This simple effort was blessed by God until prayer meetings sprang up all over the nation and ushered in a mighty revival that spread across the sea to Great Britain, culminating in the great 1859 revival in Northern Ireland. To obtain your copy of The Case for United Prayer free of charge, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Case for United Prayer. This week's broadcasts, Dr. Cairns has been focusing on Christ's transfiguration as recorded in Luke chapter 8. Under the title, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ, we've seen a number of important truths regarding the Savior. The glory the disciples witnessed was not the essential glory of the Godhead. Rather, it was a glory Christ earned through His suffering, death, and resurrection from the dead. It is through Christ's finished work on the cross that sinners come to salvation. Dr. Cairns will explain that the cloud which obscured the disciples' vision reminds us of the cloud that accompanied the children of Israel in the wilderness, a cloud that represented their acceptance as the people of God. So sinners are accepted before the Father on the basis of what Christ did on Calvary. Now Dr. Cairns brings the opening portion of this second message on the theme, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. We're returning this morning to read in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, a brief reading from verse 28 through verse 36. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him, and it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Amen. The Lord will add his own blessing to this familiar passage from his own precious word for his name's sake. Last Lord's Day, we followed the Lord Jesus Christ and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, into the Mount of Transfiguration. I said then that I think that mount was most probably Mount Hermon, and not what is usually shown to tourists to the Holy Land, Mount Tabor. Various reasons for saying that. The geography would lead you to that position. It's also probably true, it was true before and after this event, that uh, the Romans had Mount Tabor rather heavily fortified. And it was not, you would think, the most obvious place uh, for Christ to take his disciples, whereas the mount, and that's what some of the Gospels call this, just the mount, to anyone living in that area always indicated the glory of all Palestine, namely Mount Hermon. So we tried to follow them as they went to Mount Hermon, to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ. Also tried to deal with this in the simplest possible way, noting first of all what happened when Christ was transfigured before them. The word transfigured means simply transformed. His countenance was altered. The word altered simply means it was entirely different. It was entirely other 
other than what it usually was. Later we are told they beheld his glory. He was transformed before them, and they caught a glimpse of his glory. Most preachers coming to this say that uh, this is... uh, the outstanding proof of his deity because this is the glory of the eternal deity of Christ. I beg to differ. This does prove his deity in the same sense that the resurrection proves his deity. Romans chapter 1 verse 4, here he was declared to be the Son of God, just as then, with power. But the glory here is not the essential eternal glory of God that is on display. Just stop and think for a moment. You realize three men were standing within feet of this glory. And we are told in emphatic terms uh, concerning the essential glory of God's being that no man can look upon that and live. What it was on display here was the what I call last week the earned glory of Christ. It is the glory consequent upon his obedience, the glory of the man, Christ Jesus, coming as the result of his perfect obedience in life, in death, and then crowned in resurrection. This is a preview of that earned glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I tried to show last week, some have said, I don't know if they meant that uh, they wanted to think about this or whether they meant it was a blessing to them, but some have said, we never heard that before. I said, well, I quite agree. I never heard it before either. And I've never read it before. I wonder why. Could either be that I'm wrong or that uh, people come to the Scriptures with so many preconceived notions that they don't see what's plainly there. But when you get to the Mount of Transfiguration, this to me is the outstanding truth of it. You have this earned glory of Christ and it's seen. And then comes the cloud Now, anybody who's ever read the Old Testament knows the story of the wilderness wanderings of Christ. There was the cloud, which always was the symbol of the presence of God. It abode over the holiest of all. And while the cloud of God's presence abode over the holiest, it was always the mark of divine acceptance. It was such a display of the glory of God. Not, again, the full uh, outshining of his essence, but it was such a display of the glory of God. I said, I accept that upon which this cloud rests, namely the ark and the mercy seat. It speaks of his acceptance of us through the merits of the sacrifice that's brought. Now bring that to the Mount of Transfiguration, and you find the glory earned by Christ meeting the cloud of God's glory in perfect acceptance. There you have, if ever you needed it, in the simplest and yet the most glorious descriptive fashion, the total acceptance by the Father of the life and the death of Jesus Christ.
And furthermore, we saw Christ did not stand there alone. There appeared others with him in glory. In other words, they were covered with the acceptance that he gained by his life and by his death. And I make the point again, and I want you to understand this. And if I'm repeating myself, uh, well, not if, since I'm repeating myself, I'm doing it deliberately in order that we may not miss the truth. We are going all to meet God. Whether you like to think of that or whether you don't, we are all going to meet God. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Presbyterians will meet God. Baptists will meet God. Hindus will meet God. Atheists will meet God. All our little categorizations of man will melt into nothingness, and we will stand before God in all his glory. And if we are going to be accepted in that day, I repeat what I took pains to establish last Lord's Day, we will not stand in the filthy rags of human self-righteousness. Much less will we be able to stand in the depravity of open wickedness. The first psalm tells us concerning the wicked, the ungodly, they shall not stand in the judgment. They will fall. On that day, if we are to stand before God with acceptance, we need a glory, an earned perfection. A perfection witnessed by perfect obedience to the law. A perfection such as leaves no charge of guilt by the law of God against us. If we are to stand before God, we need an absolutely perfect glory that is earned in the flesh, in this world in perfect obedience to God, something that his glory can rest upon and pronounce it right and acceptable. Now, where are we going to get that? There are people who tell you all you need for heaven is to be baptized and get the sacraments of the church. Stop and think for a minute. How many baptized people do you know? Have you ever seen one of them who received through baptism such a transfiguration of character as even met your standards, never mind the standards of a holy God? Never once. Man, it will take a lot more than the sacraments of the church to make a man glorious in the sight of God. Others will tell you, as did the preacher whom I quoted. I would not like to stand in his shoes in the judgment day. The preacher I quoted who spoke to an old dying soldier in a VA hospital in Belfast. Man, I was seeking to win for Christ. And this liar of a false prophet came and sent him out into eternity with the comforting lie 
You've been a good man. You've done your best. You've fought for your country. You've done your best, and that's good enough for God. No, no, my friend, we need a perfect glory from an earned righteousness. And thank God Christ is showing us here the only righteousness that has glory acceptable to God is that which he has established through his life and through his death, witnessed by God in his resurrection. That's the glory of which the disciples caught a glimpse, a preview, and that's the glory I want you to realize today. What this says, in effect, is Christ is needed by every sinner who ever hopes to stand before God and gain acceptance. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Let me quote again Martin Lloyd-Jones's lovely title to a sermon on that particular verse, Acts 4, verse 12, no second name. No second name. There is only one name given by God distributed by the gospel among men to tell them whereby they must be saved. There's only one glory that God accepts, one righteousness that God accepts. The question is, how do I obtain that righteousness? Can I pay for it? No, I can't. Can I get it because of the intensity of my praying? No, I can't. Can I obtain it by any act of religious worship? No, I can't. I obtain it by the free gift of God, received by faith alone. God's wisdom is never more clearly seen in that faith alone clause in the gospel. It robs a man of all self-righteousness. If you're going to trust the merits of Christ, you first of all give up all other merit. If you're going to trust the name of Jesus, then you throw over every other name. If you're going to uh, abandon yourself to the mercy of God in Christ, then you give up hope in every other direction. It is Christ and Christ alone. Now that, that is the great sum of what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake, if we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.faithfpc.org. 
fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we let the Bible speak. (music) 